We're starting this morning our new series on the book of Philippians, which we're going to be doing in the next uh, several weeks uh, leading up to uh, Easter. And uh, I want to read to you the first passage of Philippians, uh, the first 11 verses of this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, Paul is, as he writes this letter, he's under guard in, in Rome. Um, and he's in the ultimate lockdown as he's in, in his house and confined to imprisonment. The time of, the, of him writing this letter is early 60s AD. And it's about 10 years after he has founded this church in Philippi. And uh, this letter is a, it's a thank you letter. He's writing a thank you letter to these believers and to the Philippians who've supported him. And as he's sending this letter, he's sending Epaphroditus, who has come from the Philippians, he's sending him back with these greetings and uh, to give reports of what's happening with Paul. And Paul is in incredibly trying circumstances um, as he writes this letter. But even so, it is a letter that is infused with joy. And as we read this book, we're going to, and read this letter together over the coming weeks, we're going to sense this underlying current, even in the midst of trials and temptations and troubles that Paul finds himself in, this underlying bubbling brook of joy that lies beneath as he writes these words of encouragement and thanksgiving to this people. You know, some of Paul's letters are telling, tellings off. Some of them are admonitions. Some of them are instructions. Some of them, he's hopping mad and he's, he's dealing with kind of bad teaching in the church, like when he writes to the Galatians, or he's dealing with problems in the church, like when he writes to the Corinthians. But here, when he writes to the Philippians, he's writing thank you letter. He's writing a, a letter of joy and a letter of, uh, that's very uplifting. Now, of course, in, in churches across the nation, across the world, there are always challenges. There, are, there is always conflict. There are 
often areas of church life and community that are difficult, and we, we shouldn't be naive or surprised by that. However, this letter, this, this letter is a thank you letter, and it commends and it, it praises the Philippian Christians for their faithful support and their financial giving. This is Paul's focus in his letter. Times are tough, but there's much to thank God for, so much to be joyful about. And whenever and wherever there is a genuine church, we also find amazing examples of generosity, of resilience, of people connecting and serving and contending for the gospel and working and giving sacrificially and showing joy in the middle of pain. And we like Paul sometimes. We need to pause and to thank God for this, for the amazing miracle of church and for the amazing commitment of, of so many. And as we do this, joy will rise up in our hearts. David highlighted in the last several weeks in his series as he started off the year for us was of these five healthy aspects of a church. And last week he was speaking about evangelism and ministry and service. And, uh, and as I look around our church, and even as I came in this morning and watched people setting up and saw the, the technical team and listened to the band practicing and, and seeing some people that are here week in and week out serving faithfully, the welcome team are setting up, getting ready to welcome you. I'm, I'm struck again by the faithful service of so many people, the children's workers as they go off and prepare lessons for the children and the young people, workers who do the same. And so we need to, to think like Paul does as he, as he writes to these Philippians. He's, he's so full of thankfulness for these believers who are contending with him for the faith of the gospel. And he's, he's effusive in his praise and his thanksgiving for them. And I think it's great if we can do and be the same. If you are a glass, half-empty kind of person, Philippians is going to be a good book for you. If you have the ability to claw defeat from the jaws of victory, um, if you have the tendency always to look on the dark side of life, or if you are just under the cosh, under the circumstances, feeling more negative than positive, then more despairing than celebrating, then this is going to be a letter that encourages your heart and challenges you afresh that whatever your circumstances, you can live a joy-filled life in grateful community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we look at these first couple of verses as Paul kicks off and writes his greeting to these believers, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how Paul sees people, how he defines them. He and Timothy sees as servants of Jesus Christ, is how he defines himself. Now Paul is a, <coughs> he's a church leader, he's a church planter, he's an apostle, he's, uh, he's very erudite, he's very well learned, he's, uh, he's planted churches all over uh, Asia Minor and throughout Europe, he's, he's doing a great work, he's imprisoned for his faith and his witness in the gospel, but his definition of himself is I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's how I see myself. And that's who Timothy is. And that's first and foremost who we are. And then uh, his, his definition is always in relation to Jesus, to I'm a servant of Jesus. And in this letter, there's about, in my version, in my translation, there's about 104 verses of Philippians. And there's over 60 mentions of 
Jesus in this letter, or, or the pronoun for, for Jesus. This is a Jesus-centered letter. It's, it's defined by Jesus. Every other verse, pretty much, uh, numerically, is talking about Jesus. But Paul sees himself in relationship and in relation to Jesus. I am a, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And you, you are saints in Christ Jesus. In our reference to who we are, I'm a servant, you're a saint, um, Paul says, and that is in Christ Jesus. His letter is, is Christ-centric, and we can define ourselves in many ways. You know, we can define ourselves as we look at ourselves, and we all have various roles and various identities in ways we can identify ourselves, but we identify ourselves first and foremost in our relationship with and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you are sitting this morning, you are sitting next to a saint. And uh, that's quite a thing. You're sitting next to a saint. Some of you are obviously very doubtful about that. <laughs> You're not so sure. I thank my God, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Just picture Paul for a moment. He's, he's chained to a Roman guard, and um, he's in the ultimate lockdown. He's captive, he's restricted, he's housebound. And he's not able to do what he really wants to do or go where he wants to go. And the freedom and fruitfulness of the earlier years seems to be confined. And there's so much that he can't do because he is imprisoned. But he can pray. He can pray and he can write letters and he can meet with people and he does what he can do in the circumstances that he finds himself in in that particular moment and season of his life. He can pray. And in these opening verses, as he writes, he reminds the believers that they are on his mind. I always thank God as I think of you. are on my mind. I'm always thinking of you. I'm always giving thanks for you. You're in my heart, he says in these verses, and you're in my prayers. So there's a strong link with these believers. And wherever you are, whatever circumstances you face, and whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whichever part of the country you live in, or, or move in, or minister in, you always have the freedom to pray and to commune with God. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love and the presence of the living God. No physical restriction can do that. No emotional impairment, no physical uh, malady or ailment, no circumstance in life can separate you from the love of Christ, from the presence of God. You can pray and be in the presence of God wherever you are, whatever circumstances you face. He always is accessible to you. You can always turn to God, and that's what Paul does constantly. Even sitting next to a Roman guard in a Roman colony, uh, miles away from this church that he's planted just 10 years early. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And isn't that a great endorsement of the Philippian church? When I think of you, <laughs> my heart is just filled with joy. Whenever I think of you, um, I'm just so, I'm busting with Gratitude. Just think of some of the early founding members. We, we read of, the, of Paul starting this church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. We read of him going down to the river and meeting Lydia, the, the businesswoman. And it says that Paul started talking to 
Lydia and sharing the gospel with her. And as he did so, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to the gospel and she became a believer. And something of the church of Jesus Christ was birthed right there and right then in that businesswoman by a river as Paul shared the gospel with her. And then Paul's going along and this girl is following them and she is oppressed by a demonic force, a demonic spirit. And she's got a, a kind of a divination, a divining spirit. She can, she can tell people their fortunes by kind of this demonic power that is within her. And as she's following Paul and the others, she's shouting out who they are and what they're doing. And, and she's owned, she's a slave girl, she's owned by these people who are making money out of her. Come and have your fortune told. And Paul puts up with this for a, a while, but in the end, something inside of him snaps and he says in the name of Jesus come out of her in the name of Jesus stop it and he, he he sets her free from this oppression and in a moment she's transformed she's exposed to the gospel and her life is changed forever as she comes into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ that David was talking to us about last week and so a um, a seller of purple a, a businesswoman, a, a slave girl oppressed by Satan. And, and this kicks off a, a riot because as Paul has done this, he's, he's taken away the earning potential of this slave girl from the owners of this slave girl. And so they get really, really mad about this, about what Paul has done. And they cause a, I predict, a riot. Uh, there's, uh, I, there's, they cause a riot. And, um, and Paul is put in jail um, and beaten, um, and uh, and at midnight, as he's singing hymns and worshiping God, yeah. the the the, uh, the doors are shaken and the chains of the prisoners fall off, yeah. and this miraculous kind of presence of God comes, and the jailer comes and is about to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have been set free, and then he's toast. And Paul says, don't, you know, don't, don't worry, <laughs> we're all here, nobody's escaped. And Paul starts to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this jailer who's encountered Paul and who's encountered the gospel says, what, what do I have to do to be saved? What, what do I have to do? And, and, and Paul turns to him and says, you've got to believe in your heart. If you believe in your heart, if you put your faith in Christ, you will be saved and and that moment, this jailer gives his life to Jesus Christ and his household, and his whole household is saved, and, and they all get baptized in water, and he, he cleanses and washes Paul's wounds and his, where, where the chains have been digging into his wrists, and, and a miracle is born. And so when, when Paul writes, uh, whenever I think of you, you Philippian believers, my heart is filled with, with joy. I think back to you, Lydia, and I think back to you, we don't have a name, but this young girl as she comes to faith and, and the change in your facial expression when that demonic force was expelled from your life. I think back to the jailer and his family. I think back to the fledgling little church in Philippi and how it was birthed as we preached the gospel. And as I think of you, I'm just filled with joy at what God has done amongst you as believers over these last years. That's a great endorsement and it's a, a remembrance of 
who they are and what God has done, and it fills Paul with joy. And as we look at what God has done in, in our lives, we could, we could go around this building, we could go around the stories of our lives, the, the moments that we've encountered Jesus. You know, God has done some amazing things for us. And we're still hearing week after week, day after day, we hear of stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, encountering God, having their lives transformed. This is what we're about. So what does Paul thank them for? What does he write about? The first thing that he, he wants to commend in them is their, their partnership in the gospel. Verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, you have partnered with me. You have, you have, you have worked with me. You have helped me. They have been persistent in their support and their work to spread the gospel. You know, life is, life is full of fads, isn't it? There are, there are fad diets, and there are fad fashions, and there are fad Christian movements. And these things come and go in, in Christian circles. But these Christians, they have partnered with Paul in the spreading of the gospel from the first day until now, in the long term. They have been with him and for him, and they have supported him. We, we have to take off our proverbial hats and recognize and applaud and give thanks to those among us who have partnered in the work of the gospel over the long term, in some cases for decades, in some cases from childhood to old age. You know, anyone can follow a fad, and lots of people do. But what is desperately needed is a long obedience in the same direction. We need, we need oaks of righteousness. We need people who will partner persistently in the gospel over the long haul. If you think of Gabriel Oak in, in Thomas Hardy's Far From the Madding Crowd, his name is given, his, he's called Oak. <laughs> he, he's the stable shepherd in Thomas Hardy's story. He's the name given by Hardy by no coincidence, Gabriel Oak. He falls in love with Bathsheba Everdeen, who marries instead a baron in the form of Sergeant Troy. And there is a, uh, there is a scene in the film where Gabriel Oak gathers in and secures the harvest in the middle of a storm, and it's lashing with rain, and you see Gabriel securing the harvest while Troy dances the night away in a drunken stupor. Gabriel Oak, the Oak of Righteousness. And there is a covenantal long-term commitment from these believers where they have partnered with Paul over the long haul. I, lo I, love, um, I love listening to uh, the likes of Nicky Gumbel and Pip Pippa Gumbel who, who when they speak of the Alpha Course, they say we're now up to our... <laughs> 150th Alpha Course. They've been on every single Alpha Course, leading small groups over decades, just constantly trying to lead people to Jesus Christ and to expose them to the gospel. I think of our efforts, and we're starting another Alpha Course in February, an in-person Alpha Course. And I think of the efforts of ones that invite their friends and their colleagues and their family members and Invite them to explore the Christian faith over, over the long haul. Some of you have invited people again and again and again. 
and you've prayed for people over the long haul. You've been faithful from the first day until now. I think of the kids' club workers who come out every Friday night and reach out to the children in the area and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I think of the many ministries of this church that go on week after week after week. I think this week of, of Freedom Encounters on Monday and, and AA on Tuesday and the prayer center on Wednesday and, and throughout the week, every day, there are activities going on where people are faithfully reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and presenting this truth of the gospel to others who don't yet know Jesus. And these are the long-termers, the faithful ones. I think of those who show up every week and serve consistently. And Paul says, I thank you for your persistent partnership in the gospel. The word is koinonia. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you'll come across that word. It's often used for, the, for, for fellowship. Uh, fellowship. But Paul says, I thank you for your fellowship in the gospel, for your shared efforts in the gospel. What is essential to remember and to protect is the fact that our, that our koinonia partnership in the gospel, in what we are about as a church, is not centered on the fact that we're all the same. It's not, the, it's not centered around the fact that we all have the same backgrounds, because we don't. Or that we all come from the same cultures, because we don't. Or that we all have the same intellectual or emotional makeup, because we don't. It's not that instinctively we would all be best friends, because we wouldn't. The church is made up of, of young and old, and I love that about our church. It is made up of black and white. It's made up of rich and poor, male and female, from all social, economic, and intellectual backgrounds. But there, in our koinonia fellowship, partnership, it's, it's in the gospel. It's centered around the gospel. It's presenting Jesus Christ to those that don't know him. It is for the sake of the gospel. And later in this letter, Paul writes about them contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That is why we're here. That is why we exist. We're not the Women's Institute. We are not a social club. Our aim, our, our goal, our purpose, our raison d'etre is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist to love people and to serve them and to help them to become followers of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. David shared last week the story of the four lepers and the outskirts of the city under siege. And why should we feed ourselves and look after ourselves when others are out there that are starving and don't yet know that there is a feast to be had, a meal to be eaten, bread to be broken, hearts to be healed, lives to be restored. When we, when we fall out amongst ourselves or when we focus on ourselves or when we argue or when we get sidetracked on minor issues, we must remember and remind ourselves and each other that we are about the gospel. That we are in partnership for the sake of the gospel. That ours is a persistent partnership that will continue to seek to lead people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's why we do what we do. It's why we exist. And the Philippians, they have partnered with Paul in the gospel by, the, by sending Epaphroditus 
and by sending money as well, they've helped him financially. We'll, we'll read later on in chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. He, he says, uh, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. So Paul thanks them. The church put their money where their mouth was. David talked about that last week as well. And they, they sent their gifts again and again to aid the ministry of the gospel. Their partnership was so practical. Their they financed Paul's ministry. They gave their tithes and offerings. And we're all called to do that. We're all called to give and to share our spiritual gifts also. And if you are going to partner in the gospel with us here at Plymouth Christian Centre, there are many ways that you can do that. And uh, we'll be looking at some of those today at our membership class uh, at lunchtime. So the first reason that Paul is so full of thanksgiving and so full of joy as he writes to these believers is that they've partnered, they've partnered with him in the gospel and that's what we're about. The second thing that kind of flows out of him in this bubbling brook of joy and, a, and enthusiasm as he writes to them is, is the fact that he recognizes that God has got a purpose for their lives and that God has not finished with them yet. And there's a confidence that that brings to Paul as a pastor and as a leader and as a as the author of this letter, saying in verse 6, being confident of this, I am, I am confident of this fact, he says, that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul prays with a deep joy and a deep confidence because he knows that what God has started in these believers, what God started that day in Lydia's life and in the jailer's life and in the slave girl's life and in the wider family's life and in all those church members and, and even in uh, Euodia and Sintichi who are currently having a big fight, God, what God started in their lives, he's not finished yet. He's not finished. And Paul says, I'm, I'm confident that there's actually a real purpose in what God is doing in your lives from the first day he says until the day of Christ Jesus the day of Christ Jesus is when Jesus returns and if Jesus hasn't returned yet which he hasn't then God hasn't finished with you yet as long as you're breathing as long as you're living on this earth as long as Christ has not returned then what God has started in you he hasn't finished in you yet you are a work in progress and that is so encouraging because because God does so much more than we imagine sometimes. Sometimes in church life, God blindsides us. You just look at someone and, or you look at a circumstance, or you look at someone you've been praying for for a long time, or you look at a situation that seems insurmountable or unsurpassable, and yet God can come in and do something amazing and, and turn it around and, and change that person's heart and change that person's life. God can open a heart to believe. God can set someone free. God can, God's not finished with us yet. We are a work in progress, and that gives each one of us confidence as we, as we look around at the body of Christ. It gives us confidence as we pray for, for one another. 
because God can do so much more than we can ask or imagine. F.B. Meyer says it's easy to pray for a soul when you know that God is at work perfecting it. You know, it's not just about you or your prayers, but you know that God isn't finished yet. I've not finished yet. You know, when you're doing something and it's like, well, that's not very good. <laughs> well, I've not finished it yet. Yeah. It's, I'm, still, I'm, still, I'm still working on it. Yeah. And, and God says, as he looks at you and as he looks at me and as he looks at us as a church, he said, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> I'm still, there's still work ongoing. You are still under construction. Um, I, I like Steve Green's old song on this. Um, um, you know, that he who began a good work in you will be, will be faithful to complete it. And he writes these words in his song. He says, if the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So for that family member that you're praying for, or that child, or for that circumstance, or for that relationship, for your own heart, for whatever it is, just be assured, like Paul was, I am really confident, Paul says. I'm so confident as I think of you and as I'm full of joy as I remember you, as you carry you in my heart, that God's got a purpose for your life and it's not, it's not fully there yet. And so I'm going to keep praying because God's got more down the line for your life. So Paul prays with joy and confidence for these two reasons. First of all, for their persistent partnership in the gospel. Secondly, because of the purpose of God in their lives. But thirdly, he prays like this because of a passion and a love that he feels in his own heart towards them. It is right, he says in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul can be quite a tough cookie. He's, he doesn't mince his words at times. And at times, you don't want to, be a, you don't want to get a tongue lashing from Paul. He can really say it straight. But he says it from a place of, of, of love. He said, God knows about the affection that I have for you all. And this affection, for, it's for all of you, <laughs> including the ones, Euodian and Sintichi, including the ones who are currently having a fight with each other. I have this affection and this love for all of you. And Paul describes it as the affection of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word there is splanchna. And that means guts or in, entrails, <laughs> innards. He says, I feel for you at a very deep, visceral level, with my viscera, with my entrails, with my guts. You know, when you feel something deeply emotionally and it affects you, you know that knot in your stomach, <laughs> that ball of anxiety, that it affects us physically, doesn't it, when we feel strong emotions. 
But Paul says, I feel for you with the affection, with the guts. I feel from, from a place of my, my guts, from, from my very inward part, I feel deep love and affection for you and deep passion for you. Um, what did Paul write elsewhere when he was writing to the Corinthians? He said, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and, and angels, but if I, don't, if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Francis Schaeffer said that love is the ultimate apologetic. And Paul was motivated to pray because of love and because of compassion for his fellow Christians. One of the things that he said elsewhere in his letters is, is, is God knows I carry around with me this burden for the churches. It's like I'm giving birth. It's the, the weight of carrying this, this people, the, the love that I feel for them, the compassion that I have in my heart. And this is the compassion of Christ. It's God-given. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. You know, it says in Romans 5 that, that God pours his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. That love is a fruit of the Spirit, and as the Spirit of God moves in us, that we, we are moved to compassion. Love will move you towards prayer, and prayer will move you towards love. You cannot genuinely pray for someone for very long and have a grudge against that person. For anyone that you have an offense against, for anyone that you have not forgiven, prayer will test and prove your heart. And Paul says, God is the judge. God knows how I feel for you. God knows my heart of compassion for you, the compassion of Jesus Christ. The same ferocity of feeling that Paul had when he persecuted the church he now has it as he bursts the church and prays for the church and contends for the church and fights for the church. Look at him chained and imprisoned. Look at him restricted, but moved by love and moved by the passion of Jesus Christ to pray for his fellow believers in whom and for whom he has a deep fondness and love. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your persistent partnership because of the purpose of God in your lives and because of the passion that Christ has placed in my heart for each one of you and then he says as he as he identifies what he's praying he says and this is my prayer for you this is what I pray as I pray with thanksgiving for your your persistent partnership for the purpose of God for 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 the passion and the love I feel for you and this is my this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He prays for them and he prays for abundance and he prays for discernment and he prays for fruit. I pray that, that, that your love will abound more and more. I pray that God will fill you with the same kind of love that I feel I pray that he'll fill your hearts with love. I pray that that will abound more and more, that there'll be an abundance of love amongst you. An abundance, it doesn't say what that love is for. It will be love for God and it will be love for each other and it will be love for the lost. But it'll be a love that is spirit-given and, and, and God pours it into our hearts by his spirit. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you would not be that, that, that symbol or that empty noise that, even as you speak eloquently, but that you will be filled with a deep, visceral love also, that you will abound in that love. Because love is the ultimate motivator and the greatest apologetic. And so 
He prays for, for love, but he also prays for discernment. He says, I, I want you to also grow in wisdom and insight. I don't just want you to have big hearts. I want you to have insight and wisdom to know what's best for your lives, to make right decisions and to move forward in wisdom and in insight and knowledge. That We read this phrase in the Bible many times in the New Testament, and he grew in wisdom and insight, in favor with God and with man. It's said about Jesus and it's said about others. And we grow in wisdom and we grow in stature. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'll have a very big heart, but that also your mind and your thinking will grow and mature so that you'll grow in wisdom and depth of insight, epignosis, that you'll grow in this knowledge and, and this wisdom so that you can discern what is best. You can make good decisions in your business environment, in your home life, that you'll be a wise person and, and God will give you that wisdom. And James says, doesn't it? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and he will give it to you. But he also prays for them for fruitfulness. The fruit of your salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. We're talking today about partnering in the gospel at our membership class. David talked last week about serving and ministering and getting involved. The thing that we have to come back to again and again and again is it's not about us. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. And this letter to the Philippians is Christ-centered. 60 times it's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done in Paul's life. It's about what Jesus has done in the Philippians' lives. And it's about what he's going to do in, in those that they're affecting. And Paul still, still in change, still contending, still fighting for the gospel. So this is going to be an encouraging letter for us because... It is infused with joy and thanksgiving. It is a letter that teaches us foundational truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look through it, I pray that it's going to equip us and encourage us and strengthen us. But let's partner together. Let's find out and thank God for what he is doing amongst us. Let's have that attitude of gratitude where we see what God is doing and we highlight it and we thank God for it. And let's have this moment where we pray, where we have God's perspective, where we partner in the gospel, and where we have this sense of the passion and the love of God. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and join me. And I want to pray for you into some of these areas. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Shall we pray together? I did, I did have that sense as we were worshipping earlier of um, just, I did see the, the, the woman bent over double stumbling her way through the crowd to get to 
this holy Jesus, and the way he, he the way he healed her, and the way he touched her. Just thought of all these characters in the Bible were messed up, but as they came into Jesus's orbit, he he changed them and he transformed them and he he filled their lives with love in a way that changed the way they acted. So Zacchaeus, who was a con man and a a thief, just started to want to give away money and and make things right. His heart was changed, and and the woman who came, who was a prostitute, she didn't. She didn't want to live that way anymore when she came into, into Jesus' orbit and when she encountered this holy God and, and this, this leper that came and was cleansed and was brought back into, the, into society that is this touch of, of God this, that changes our heart. And I think we all of us, we all of us need that promise of Romans that he that he'd pour out his love into our hearts that we, we need to feel the compassion of Christ afresh don't we because it's the greatest motivator so I'd like to pray for your heart this morning I'd like to pray for those of you who are contending for the gospel I'd like to pray that you would continue to partner in the gospel but feel the passion and love of Christ so Lord I, I do pray that I pray that as we come to you this morning and as we reach out to you and call on your name I pray that we would feel that same passion that Paul writes about I pray for our hearts to be filled with the with the compassion of Christ the that inner depth of love that is spirit given I pray God that we come and be healed and be made whole so that we could continue to contend for the gospel. And I pray, Lord, with that same confidence that Paul prayed, that, that what you've started in us, God, you will finish. So I, I pray for the unfinished work of God in our lives, the project that you are on for each one of us, God. I pray that you give us a confidence as we pray for one another that we would say God's not finished yet. This story's not over. The last chapter has not been written. There's more to come. And I pray that, Lord, you do that in our hearts and give us a confidence both for our own lives and for others around us also that we would see you moving and doing amazing things. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.